little touch pass there. Benson waiting, cuts in, he scores! Oh my! Into the middle, holding, back, Toporowski shooting, shot block, got it back, shot, score! Center of pass forward, of stop, shot, back to play, score! In front, Groove scores! Jaden Groove scores the triple overtime winner. Welcome into WHL Unfiltered. Uh, pleased to be joined by Hartley Miller, the sports director for 94.3 The Goat and Prince George, and also the color analyst for the Prince George Cougars. And also joined uh, by my co-host Sean Mullen and Swift Current. How's uh, how's things been going for you up there in uh, in PG? Going very well. Weather is finally starting to change, and all of that. First George Cougars actually won a playoff round for the first time in 16 years. Things didn't go great against Seattle, but overall, things are looking up in uh, PG. Glad to have uh, an opportunity to speak with uh, you, uh, Chad, and with Sean as well. Hardly, I'm sure, was a, a big sense of relief and excitement in the community to see the Cougars have some playoff success. And yes, ran into a juggernaut in the second round. But in general, uh, you know, knowing the community as well as you do, as long as you've worked there, what's the feel in the, the Cougar fan base in, in Prince George as a whole after they took that step forward? Yeah, I've been on the scene in Prince George uh, working in the sports field for over 40 years. That does age me a little bit, but I think a lot of the fans, it was like, oh, it's about time. It's been a long time. And there was some genuine excitement as things started to build. You know, the average attendance in the regular season was around 2,750, and it jumped considerably, not quite doubled, but it went, you know, the average was in the mid to late fours uh, for the playoff run, you know, for the amount of uh, playoff games that they had. A uh, total of five, three against Tri-City, two versus Seattle. And I think the fans appreciated uh, finally being able to see playoff hockey that went beyond one round. Uh, got to see a team that was on the rise. Yes, the Cougars were overmatched against Seattle. That's sort of a series that has its own entity. But I think if you look around the city, uh, people now don't have to walk with their heads down when you bring up the name Prince George Cougars. People can have their heads held up high, and people want to talk about it again. They want to talk about Major Junior. They want to talk about the WHL. There hasn't been this much excitement since 2016-17, but 16-17 ended very quickly and very disappointingly. That's the year that the Cougars ended up first and the only BC Division banner that they have and there were high expectations going into the playoffs. They made three trades to upgrade the roster, but they lost in the first round, rather surprisingly, to Portland, a team that was considerably younger. I mean, only 12 points behind them in the standings, but younger. And uh, Prince George, it was a favorable matchup, they thought, for them, but they lost in six, and that really uh, soured the fan base that had all, all these high expectations. But really, you know, and then the Cougars went into another down cycle, 
before picking things up this year. Yeah, they made the playoffs last year, but they barely got in and not with a great record. At least this year they had 81 points and 68 games. So the fans saw firsthand the improvement, the development, all of those things that came together. They made a couple of great trades, especially the one where they only had to give up a fourth-round draft pick to get Chase Weecroft, who won four team awards, including MVP, was number two in WHL scoring, and on and on and on. He had the final goal in overtime against Tri-City to knock them out in game six. So there was a real uplifting. There was certainly uh, a ton of optimism. And I, I think here, I'm going to tell you something that I, I think will tell you the story on the question that you asked. The Cougars were getting blown out. They lost 8-2 to two their last game of the season against the Seattle. The, the series didn't really go all that well. We're not going to hide from that. But at the end of game number four, and there were 4,000 fans. That was their smallest crowd of the uh, postseason. They had 4,000 fans at CN Center. And I would say nearly half of them waited to the bitter end of an 8-2 to two game. And they waited after the teams shook hands and everything. They give the Prince George Cougars a standing ovation, an appreciation not only for the 20-year-olds that have left the team, but for the entire team, for the hockey entertainment and excitement that they gave the fans. And I think that's rather unusual. If it was a 3-2 overtime game or it went down to the wire, you could see fans staying. But they had to sit through a third period where the score was, you know, 5-1, 6-1, 7-1, even when 8-1. It didn't go 8-2 until the last minute. But fans were there, and they wanted to show their appreciation. So I think that right there tells you a little bit about something how Prince George is feeling. Yeah, Hartley, you touched on a number of things there that I wanted to, to get to. I was sure that 2017 series was going to come up at some point, and we can get into that you know, down the road here. But, you know, the, the, the crowds, and the crowds were good. And, you know, I haven't watched this league forever. And, you know, we only we only had video for so long, too, but – you know, I don't think I've ever seen crowds in in the CN Center like we had, you know, this playoffs. And it was really kind of, you know, it felt really good. And, and, and to, to have that, that first round matchup where it's a, you know, a, a formidable opponent, but also, you know, a, a winnable one. And to get the, you know, the, the momentum going, I mean, that had to be fun to be able to call games, you know, in, in, a, in an excited building like that. Yeah, and, uh, you know, I, I'm going to make a, a slight correction, Chad, and, uh, you know, you're still very young, and, and Sean is too, but I've been around for a long time, and I go back to 1997, and the Cougars at that point, uh, they had crowds every playoff game of 6,000. As a matter of fact, tickets were, were sold out within 15 minutes of going on sale. It was an absolute frenzy, but we're going back to 1997. I mean, that's, that's 26 years. Then we go to 2007, the last time prior to this year that the team won. And there were also sellout crowds and tickets were going really quickly. Now, throwing those years aside and since 2007, you are correct that this is the biggest demand that there has been for a Prince George Cougars ticket in the playoffs. But again, you have to remember that from 2008 and on, the Cougars have either not been in the playoffs or have been a low seed and have quickly made an exit. So there really wasn't any, you know, playoff atmosphere, something to build on, some excitement. So yes, uh, you know, the high crowd topped off 
for Game 6 against Tri-City in the first round at 5,300. But the other crowds were also, you know, I, I mentioned the low crowd of 4,000. They had a 4,300, 4,500, 4,700. So, you know, they averaged around 46, 4,700 uh, for the playoffs. So that is certainly by far the most interest they've had in the playoffs uh, as, as we go back, uh, you know, to uh, 2007. Now, in 2017, uh, the crowds build, and there were big crowds as well, but that was only for three games, and that was only for one round, and that was a different kind of a team because expectations were a lot higher. They were not met. Here, uh, you know, from the Cougars' point of view, uh, you know, they didn't exceed expectations, and they didn't uh, go below expectations. They did really what they should based on their talent, based on their roster. They were number two in the BC division. That's where they should have finished. They should have probably beat Tri-City in the first round, although some could call it a toss-up, which it was. But they came through there. And then they weren't going to beat Seattle. The The disappointment, though, comes in the fact that they were outscored 25-5 to in the four games against Seattle. I thought many of us thought they would be able to be a little bit more competitive than they were. They started off that way. They lost the first game 4-1, last goal empty net. Then it went 5-1, and then... You know, the games in Prince George were 8-1 and 8-2. This is year five of the Mark Lamb era for Prince George, year four uh, with him as the head coach. And I, I got to know Mark pretty well during his uh, his time here in Swift Current when I was the broadcaster for six of his seven seasons and know that he's a patient man who will take his time to do a build the right way. And I'm, I'm sure, you know, for Prince George, a, a community that's waited a long time to have a team that can win, patience was tough to find at times, but seems like it's paid off here. What have you thought of the work that Mark Lamb has done, first as general manager and, and then as coach, in, you know, showing the patience to rebuild the Cougars in the right way? He had to have the backing of ownership because it was going to take time and to be quite honest, it seemed like it took a little bit longer than, you know, fans wanted. Uh, you know, they saw a progression, but it was very, very slow until this season. And then it sort of all came together. But Mark, you are right. He, he's a very even keel kind of guy. Uh, I saw a rare emotion from him that you very seldom see. When Jackson Weep scored in overtime in game two against Tri-City, and then as much emotion, or even maybe a little bit more, when Weecroft scored in overtime in game six to eliminate the Tri-City. He was, you know, jumping up and down out of character, if you will, because he's not like that. I just finished doing a season-ending podcast with him, and we talked about a number of things. He wants to continue to be doing both jobs, coach and GM. Uh, I, I think if you were to ask the fans, they probably feel that he's done a better job on the general manager's aspect because he acquired Weecroft for a, a, a fourth-round pick. That was it for a guy that ended up second in WHL scoring. He you know, gave up a second-rounder for Jackson Weeb, who played it even though he you know, was an agitator, uh, played an instrumental role in helping the team get as far as they did. And, you know, so on. And he made some, some other trades as well that, that, that certainly 
you know, help the team, uh, getting Cole Dubinsky from Regina, getting another 20 year old. So he, he had to make trades to upgrade in the 20 year old position. And they all basically worked out. He's made some other moves that have certainly helped. There's also some talk that maybe he would trade a goaltender at the deadline by not making a deal. That probably worked out as well because uh, Brennan, although he got injured with an ankle injury, played a key role for the team in the regular season when they sort of had a turnaround in the second half. So to get back to Mark Lamb, uh, I think he's done a very good job as a general manager. I think he's done a very good job with patience. And I think we have seen that that patience has helped him uh, in the coaching aspect. If he wasn't the general manager and if he didn't have that kind of support from ownership, I'm not sure he would have been able to last as long as he did as coach because nowadays everybody wants instant results. And it's basically taken him five years for sure, four years to get those results. Now, somebody could toss out and say, well, you can't count the pandemic season where they played in the bubble in Kamloops, which is true. Uh, you know, so there are a lot of factors that have come into it. There's not a lot of guys. There are some that can do both jobs and do them well. Uh, Mark is very in tune and really doesn't take any uh, time for himself in the off season. Um, so overall, I think he's done very well as a general manager and he's done um, an admirable job as coach. Although I will say that some of the fans on social media uh, prior to the success of this season, or even when there were bumps this season. It didn't all start well this season. The fans started to get a little bit restless on the social media, but they were calmed a little bit by how the team finished at the end and how they did against Dry City. Although some of those fans, not as many, came back um, a little bit disappointed in how things went against uh, Seattle. Not that they lost, or straight, but how they did. Yeah, and I'll, I'll say certainly, you look at the, the run and swift current, you know, again, given the opportunity to, to patiently build a roster that ended up becoming a contender in the two years after uh, he moved on to the American Hockey League and won the championship two years removed from Mark Lamb's era as general manager. And, you know, there's certainly players that are playing at the next level, like Adam Lowry and Jake DeBrusk, who, uh, saw a lot of tutelage under under him and success under him. I, I wonder, too, if, you know, and he always made sure when he was here that he had somebody he could rely on in such a way that would allow him to devote the time he needed to in the general manager role. Having an associate coach like Josh Dixon, who we worked with in Swift Current as well, who has been a head coach at the major junior level in the Quebec League, uh, must be some level of support in that he can count on Dixon to you know, run a practice if he needs to, or take care of things from the coaching standpoint when management duties uh, get pretty intense. Well, there's no question. And, and, you know, Josh has been a head coach. He's still young, still in his mid-30s, and he wants to be head coach again. He's not going to hide from that, nor should he. I mean, that's the goal for all associate and, and, and head coaches. So when Mark has been away and there was an odd game that he had to miss due to GM duties, going to a general manager's meeting late in the season in Vegas, he feels very comfortable that he can hand off the team to Josh and Josh probably gets more responsibility as an associate coach than most would because Mark is holding down the dual job. 
So yeah, there's a comfort level there. They have worked together, uh, and you know they have been, you know, a, a, a pretty good team as far as that goes, and and that has really helped as far as the uh, you know the, the team aspect is concerned. And w- when you have that trust and faith, and knowing that uh, you know Josh is still in a in a, in a learning role himself, even though he's got a lot of experience, but he can still learn, you know, from, um, uh, from Mark who has, you know, a ton of experience. So all of those things, uh, you know, have really, you know, come into play here in, in terms of that. Now, if you also take a look, um, not many people know, uh, well, I should mention too, that Carter Rigby joined the team as an assistant coach and he's just, you know, and his, uh, he's 29 years old, and he really helped, you know, bring some youthful energy after coaching Junior B. He's a longtime player in the league, even played a little bit with Prince George. And so I think he added as well. But what played people, for Mark in Swift Current also. Not to, not to what, what's that? But he played for Mark in Swift Current as well. Uh, yes, he did. Them. And there was the connection there. But what people don't know, and I, and I think that this is sort of went under the radar was there was another coach behind the scenes. Not, not, no, there was no news release. There was no you know, big publicity about it. And they wanted to keep it low-key. And that's Jim Playfair. Jim Playfair is a former head coach of the Calgary Flames. Uh, lost his job last year as an associate coach with the uh, Edmonton Oilers when they made a, a coaching change. Um, so he, who is from Fort St. James and, you know, is in, you know, very... Uh, heavy with Northern BC and, and all of those things. And, you know, Fort St. James is only a two hour drive from Prince George. He and, and Mark have been longtime friends and he offered his services. So he also gave another set of eyes, another set of somebody that has been at the highest level for coaching. And, and Jim is looking to get back into coaching and he wants to get, obviously he wants to get back into the NHL and all of that. But instead of just sitting and waiting for his phone to ring, and it's going to ring a little bit more now that, you know, the NHL offseason is coming for more and more teams, he thought, you know, after Mark talked to him, he said, hey, why don't you come out and, and give us a hand? And so he did. So he helped bring a different perspective. And one thing that, you know, uh, Josh Dixon mentioned and Carter Rigby mentioned was how much they could learn from him as well. So I think the Jim Playfair influence, not well publicized. I'm not saying that there's a lot of credit that goes to him, but certainly some for helping make a little bit of a difference, helping break down tendencies of other teams. Uh, one thing that Jim is very good at is, is breaking down film, understanding the game. Uh, I've had a couple of podcasts with him, a lot of extensive discussions. His knowledge of the game is really unmatched. And, uh, you know, he's 58, 59 years old. It's interesting. Just the one year as an NHL head coach had a winning record in Calgary, but got let go because they lost the first round of the playoffs. Expectations were higher than that. And, you know, he's had several jobs since American Hockey League, um, including the meltdown that was on the internet in 2010, uh, when he was with Abbotsford and, you know, decided to throw his suit and was upset with the refs and everything like that. And, but he's been around a long time and been around back in the NHL, but he's still looking, still believing he can be a head coach in the NHL, has the credentials, matter if somebody's going to give him an opportunity. But he had a little bit of an influence as well 
uh, behind the scenes with the Prince George Cougars. Well, Sean, how much does that sound like, you know, Mark Lamb and the the, the Manny Viveros era in, in Swift Current kind of, you know, similar similar situation to me? Well, certainly with his Rolodex, it's always been a factor in, in his coaching career. I remember leaning on Craig McTavish once as a support in the recruitment of Julius Honka and Swift Current and getting a, him to come when uh, he hadn't originally planned on making that move. So that's one thing, and and his agents in in Europe uh, being big connections. So it's the thing when you have the extensive experience in the National Hockey League, um, and that is also available in the ownership of the Cougars, and you have Rolodexes like that, it certainly creates an opportunity to use the, that network they've created to add to what the Cougars have and. I imagine, you know, as they built that from the ownership to the coaching staff and beyond, um, that's a good recruiting tool, isn't it, Hartley? You know, when you have all those connections for the players that you're trying to say, hey, you know, you have to come here to an organization that's been rebuilding their uh, reputation. When they have those connections, that helps a lot with players for, who are hoping to get seen. That's an understatement. It all comes down to experience. With experience comes contact, comes knowledge. One thing that Mark has, he has a lot of respect in the hockey community. And that's a big, big community. Dave Tippett, former NHL coach, is his best friend. He still keeps in touch. That's the one guy he sort of relies on for when things are a little bit down for him. He'll give a phone call and whatever. And, you know, he just has so many people and when he does call them up, uh, they make sure they pick up the phone or they get right back to him. It's not like, oh, Mark's calling me. I'll try to avoid this call. That doesn't happen. Uh, people want to talk to him. They want to share hockey stories with him. He had success as a player. He's had success as a coach, general manager. Uh, and he's got a, uh, you know. But one thing maybe, you know, like from the fans' point of view, they don't see necessarily a dynamic individual. He speaks very well. But it's, again, uh, everything with him is, you know, sort of at one level. He doesn't get too high and he doesn't get too low. I talked about even keel. And, you know, sometimes fans, they like, they, they like the sizzle to go with the steak. And, you know, Mark's not a lot about the sizzle. He, he's the meat and potatoes kind of a guy. And in his mind, other people can worry and do about the sizzle. But in the hockey community, when you're talking... They don't care about the sizzle. They want to know about knowledge. They want to know about what kind of a person you are. They want to know. And one of the things that Mark talks about uh, when, when I've asked him about trades, he's always consistent about this. Yeah, I want to make a trade that helps the Prince George Cougars. But a trade isn't really successful unless it helps both teams. Now, sometimes it's going to work out that one team is going to benefit more than another. But he always says that he's he's not looking his intent is not to rip off another team or, you know, every team is looking for different things. His intent is to help his team, improve his team, and if the other team can benefit in some way as well, then it works well for everybody, then that's a trade that, you know, all parties are happy with. And so that's something that, you know, he speaks very openly about. Well, I think maybe some other guys, well, they may not say too much publicly, but 
you know, if they can uh, pull the trigger and make themselves look pretty good, and if the other team happens to suffer, well, so be it for them. But, you know, we got a pretty good deal kind of a thing. But I think I think Mark looks at the whole hockey aspect. Of course, he has to put his own team first. That's who he's getting paid for and all of those kinds of things. And he has to respond to ownership and all of that. But um, he's given a lot of autonomy. The owners, I mean, the one owner that he speaks with on a regular basis is Eric Brewer. There are six owners with the PG Cougars. Eric is the one that talks to him the most, and that's mostly about the hockey side of things, not necessarily the business. John Payton, the team president, sort of handles that role. Uh, but he talks extensively with Eric, and Eric himself has a lot of contacts and everything like that. But he tries to weigh various opinions that he gets, uh, ultimately, he goes with what his experience and what his knowledge is telling him. Plus, if somebody that he respects gives some sound advice, he certainly takes that into consideration and says, yeah, that does make a lot of sense, and maybe we'll go with that. So you are right. It, it's, it's invaluable, and I think that's what ownership wanted to bring to Prince George. They wanted some stability. Remember, it was only uh, a year ago that uh, Mark got offered an associate job or assistant coaching job with the Edmonton Oilers when Dave Tippett was there. So it may have been a little bit more than a year ago. Um, you know, Tippett wanted to bring him on board. And you know, Mark had a way to go back to the NHL, be an assistant coach, or stay at the WHL level. And he decided to stay at the WHL. He likes Prince George. His wife likes PG. They like the size of the community. But I think most important, he loves that control. He love, and, and that's the way you should. Uh, when you have, when you're the coach and general manager, you run things. He feels the ownership has been really good to him and he's been good to them. You know, he deals, and he deals extensively with Eric Brewer and there's a lot of respect there. Eric Brewer has played over 1,000 NHL games. Uh, so, and that was part of the reason why they wanted to make sure they, they, they were trying to change the culture, not just for a short term fix, but a longer term. And now as we look to the Cougars' future, it looks a little bit brighter than it did not too long ago. And I can speak to that, not to make this the, the Mark Lamb show, but I can say when I've run into him in Swift Current, he's from this area, he specifically went out of his way to say how much he likes the community and likes where he lives and he's happy there. So it's, it's not just uh, words for you know the fan base in Prince George. That's literally what he said. And, and I'll say from the emotional standpoint, I know we had that same uh, complaint here that he didn't get emotional, he didn't get fired up. Like you know, does he does he care enough? And I can tell you, you know, sometimes you see somebody who's very expressive, and you think they care. You see someone who's not as much, and you think they don't. Or and it's quite often the opposite. Uh, you know, I I've seen a lot of coaches in my time and. He's one that, on a personal level, um, cared for the individual that he worked with as much as any uh, ever has. Now, from a franchise standpoint, you know, this felt like a year of an uptick for the Cougars. You know, Chad and I were describing that series against the Tri-City as maybe, you know, the first step of both those teams taking a, a, a spot among the elite in the Western Conference. What do you think the Cougars need, or what's the situation with the roster heading into next year for them to truly become one of the elite? 
Well, you take a look at, you know, they're going to have a number of guys back. Now, obviously, like everybody, they lose their 20-year-olds, and those 20-year-olds provided an awful lot. Uh, we've talked about them. Uh, you know, I don't, you know, Weecroft's numbers, you're not going to replace. I mean, you know, 100 and 607 points, and the top scorer in the league outside of Connor Bedard. Bedard had his own league. Like, that, that, was, that was one level, and of, of the mere mortals, Weecroft had the most points. And, you know, and, and we provided, you know, not just his offense, but his feistiness, scoring big goals, too, in Game 2 overtime against uh, Tri-City. And then he set up Weecroft for the game winner in Game 6. And, you know, and, and Dubinsky with his speed and that. So they're going to have, you know, so everybody loses their, their, their 20-year-olds. But I doubt they're going to get their captain back. I mean, there's a possibility. But Ethan Sampson is 19. He's, you know, with the Philadelphia Flyers. And I wouldn't be surprised if he's in the AHL. And I think the Cougars are going to go on the assumption that he's not coming back. And if he is, that's just going to be a bonus that they'll be happy with. They've got two 19-year-olds that I see as locks. And I mentioned this to Mark Lamb in a recent podcast, coming back. And that would be Zach Funk, who they acquired from Calgary. That was another good trade he made. And Funk led the team in playoff scoring. And Hudson Thornton, who set a club record for regular season points for defensemen. They're both 19. They're both eligible as 20. Unless strange things happen, which they can, I think those are two of their 20-year-old spots, which is different than a year ago because we had no idea who their 20-year-olds were going to be. And eventually, Mark had to make a trade to get those 20-year-olds. So there's one spot left. Could it go to Ethan Sampson? Possibly, but they're not counting on it. And what about Tyler Brennan? You know, uh, he signed with New Jersey, fourth-round pick of the Devils. Will they want him in the American League system or their farm system? Will they want him back in junior? Or do the Cougars want to go with a 20- and 19-year-old goaltender? Ty Young stepped in for the injury to Brennan in the playoffs, uh, played reasonably well uh, against Tri-City and Seattle, reasonably well. There were times he looked really good. Other times... You know, uh, possibly there are a couple of goals he wanted back. But overall, I think did reasonably well for the team. Well, he's going to be 19 next year, and he's probably ready to, to, to carry the load. So I think what the Cougars are going to look for next season is more secondary scoring. Uh, their second line is going to be okay. But in terms of scoring, uh, they may need a little bit more depth up front, considering the players that they're losing there. And then they could use, especially when you consider they probably won't get Samson back, a little bit more depth on the on the back end. So I don't know if they need, certainly they're going to be looking for that dynamic player, but don't look for Mark Lamb to be trading first-round picks or something like that. Now maybe once you get past, or you get close to the January 10th deadline, they may say, hey, we got a pretty good team here. But Prince George did that, went that route in 2017, and it didn't work. And so I think there was a little bit of a lesson to be learned. Now I know this year it's a little different. You know, Seattle loaded up, Kamloops loaded up, Winnipeg loaded up, and, you know, Seattle and Kamloops in the West, you know, before their series begins, they're 8-0. But uh, it doesn't always work, and there's still going to be a team very disappointed after loading up. I'm not a big believer in that myself. Uh, try to improve, try to upgrade, but don't give away those precious first-round picks if you can certainly avoid it. Uh, so they are going to have more returning players coming back than a lot of the teams that had pretty decent records. So, uh, and, and their first line, you know, uh, uh, of height and Zimmer, both potentially 
uh, first round NHL picks. Height has just joined uh, Team Canada at the under 18 Worlds in Switzerland after they got knocked out. Uh, and, and, and Funk often played in that first line if, they, if Weecroft wasn't on that first line. So they're basically going to have that first line, you know, coming back. Uh, their second line will be okay as well. Uh, Belcher and, and, and Brown and they got a couple of other guys that can fill a role there, but I, I, they're going to need a little bit more scoring and, you know, one, at least one other, um, solid defenseman with a little bit more experience that can help round out the back there. And if Ty Young can, you know, give them that kind of goaltending that they think for a fifth round pick of the Vancouver Canucks, working a younger guy, uh, they should be in pretty good shape. They're not going to be like Seattle or Kamloops this year in terms of a roster. But I think you're seeing a little bit of a rarity. Uh, I, I've watched uh, the WHL a long time. Now, it has been from a Prince George point of view, and so I haven't seen a lot of playoff games like a lot of people have. But having watched the Cougars since they first came to town in 94 and 95, I haven't seen myself a team as solid from goal to defense to forward as Seattle, and I'm not sure we're going to see another team like that. I mean, when you've got a guy that can, you know, play 33 NHL games, another guy that could be in the AHL, other guys that were, you know, NHL draft picks and, uh, you know, 10 NHL draft picks, five of them first round, and on and on it goes, six guys that are rated for this year's draft, and a high-end goaltender, as good as anybody. That's why he was Canada's goaltender. We could go on and on. And, and I watched that team, you know, uh, virtually destroy Prince George in the last two games. But that team roster was, you know, uh, so I just don't see next year anybody in the WHL going to be able to put a team like that together. Having said that, you know, you can still put together a really good team and have a really good chance. And I think the first thing they want to do is look for a team that can secure the BC division, which is not unrealistic when you consider that uh, Victoria is certainly in a rebuilding stage. I can't see them. You know, Vancouver, I mean, they, they decided, you know, that, they, you know, they're a little bit ready to move up a little bit, Kelowna, but I'm not sure they'll be able to catch Prince George. And then it's a matter of how much is Kamloops going to drop. We all know they're not, there's no way they can be as good because of the kind of roster that they have and what they're going to be losing. They will still have a decent team. Now, whether it's going to be a team that, uh, can hold off Prince George, that remains to be seen. But I think that's the number one goal for the Cougars right now. Win the BC division. Then see how you do and cross over with the U.S. division. I think the U.S. is still going to be strong. Tri-City's not losing a lot of players. I think they're going to be really good. Portland's got a lot of guys coming back. They may have to address the goaltending a little bit. And, you know, Seattle is still going to be good. Obviously, nowhere near this year. But they're not going to drop as far as a lot of people think they're going to drop. Like, they're not going to drop, to, in my mind, to the lower middle. I think at the worst, they would drop is to the upper middle, and they might even be a little bit better than that. So I, I think that where the Cougars sort of look and they say, yeah, you know, I think we can, you know, sort of be, you know, right there. Well, you know, it's going to be a little while for Spokane and for Victoria uh, and, and maybe even Kelowna and Vancouver to, uh, you know, rise above. And Everett's going to be really good really soon, but I'm not sure it's going to be next year after all those first-round picks they acquired. It's going to take a little while for those guys to get in their lineup. You know, Hartley, you mentioned how good that Seattle team is. And that's something I wanted to come back around to as well. I mean, you know, it's kind of a recap of that series is as much as probably a little difficult for the, you know, Cougars fans, 
you know, it, this was a really unique year in that, you know, the CN Center, like, you know, 17 different buildings in this league got to experience, uh, you know, the, 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 the fever of, uh, of, of having number 98 in there with, with Bedard and selling out the barn. And then I kind of wonder if that kind of makes it fertile territory to, to, to bring in, you know, the rest of, of Team Canada with their, with their shiny gold medals, you know, only wearing Seattle jerseys in that point that, you know, we've kind of, we had that mindset of we're going to go see the other team and see how good they are, you know, with that, you know, the one night against Regina. I wonder if that kind of applied to, you know, again, this this incredibly good Seattle team. And, and we can kind of, you know, it, it, it seems like if, if there was ever a time to appreciate the, uh, you know, the, the opposition that, that this is a, a good year for that. I mean, do you think that was maybe maybe a factor in, uh, in, in bringing people out to, to fill the rink? Well, when Connor Bedard came here, they had over 6,000 fans. They had to put extra stands in, extra seats, by far the largest crowd of the year, anticipation. He did not disappoint. He had two goals in that game and, you know, a 5-1 win. And, uh, you know, I, I talked with the Regina folks, and they said, oh, it was just another game. And it looked like it was just another game for him. But he was I, – I knew at that time just by watching because – one of the things you can do when you go to the games, as you know, compared to when you're listening or you're watching on TV, you have to go by what the cameras are showing you. But when you're there, you can watch. That's all I did. So I don't know if, you know, as a color commentator, I'm supposed to watch the whole game and all the play. But I just paid so much special attention to everything he did when he didn't have the puck or wasn't in the camera view. And you could just tell you were watching somebody that was incredibly special. And he at that time when he came in that was early December you know there's a lot of hype but his hype really took off to a, a a different degree once he got on you know TSN a lot and once he got on the World Juniors and everybody started to see wow this guy is really really something so Prince George was very fortunate there uh, I don't know if everybody in Prince George really knew how good Seattle was now one thing about Seattle, there is a, a Prince George kid, uh, Nico Mayotovic. Uh, Mayotovic is on that team. And Nico is a really good player. He scored 30 goals for him this season. And, you know, he's rated uh, 26th, 27th among North American skaters for the upcoming draft and all of those things. And uh, he's really developed. And so there's been a little bit of a following for Seattle with him. Uh, but one thing that I don't know anybody's really known, like, their team was as good even in the first round against Kelowna, they didn't have Lambert for the first two games. So all season long, even when they had a stretch down, you know, when they went 18-0-0-1 in a 19-game span near the end of the season, they didn't quite have their full lineup. They finally put that full lineup together, everybody there. And so I, I think fans in Prince George, some of them were a little bit fooled because they did get by Tri-City. Now, did people realistically think they could win? The, the people that didn't want to think too large or, you know, didn't want to really analyze too much, of course they thought that. They're fans. Why not think that? Why not hope? Um, you know, I, 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 and on the season-ending podcast that I had with Mark Lamb, he still talks about the disappointment uh, of that series. And he, he went in with the mindset, we're going to beat them. And I think that's the mindset that a lot of people had. Now, uh, I tried to be as realistic as possible. I thought that Prince George would be capable of winning a game. 
I thought, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have fallen off my chair if it went six games, but I didn't think that Prince George, and he can't really see this when you're, you know, color commentating. You're trying to build up the home team, but it wasn't anything, you know, but realistically, was I surprised it went in four? No. Where I was surprised was the scores. I mean, 4-1 was okay, empty netter, 5-1, okay. But then when it got 8-1 and 8-2, and that was on the road for Seattle, and that was here, it was really a wake-up call. And, and, and uh, you know, you do little, you know, pools around the office and everything like that. And, uh, you know, was, and even going into Game 4, I said, well, you know, it was 8-1 in Game 3, but I think the Cougars would be more competitive. And, you know, this one might be a 4-2 game or something like that. And it just wasn't. Uh, so I, I don't know if, as a matter of fact, the the lowest attendance for the playoffs in Prince George was that last Seattle game at just over 4,000. So I think that that may have come into it that some of the fans, that was a Wednesday, but still, some of the fans might have thought, well, you know, I've I've either seen Seattle before or, or whatever, and it doesn't look like, you know, this is going to be a, a series that's going to be extended. So I think if it would have been a more competitive series, I think the attendance actually would have gone higher, uh, like it was for Tri City. Tri City had the first game 4,300. Second game is built 4,500. Then game number six, you know, 5,300. So you saw how it built because as the excitement of the series and Prince George possibly winning and all that. Well, here, you know, for the first game against, uh, Seattle, they had mid fours and then, you know, it went down from there. Uh, so people either said, well, I'm going to go to one of the two midweek games or, you know, I, I've seen the Cougars at their best and this team just overmatches them. So how good Seattle was did not play a factor in the attendance like it did for how Connor Bedard was. So in terms of that Seattle team and Kamloops, just because we have you on here and you've been following that uh, conference pretty closely and you just saw Seattle, that's a series yep. I think everybody has been um, hyping up and excited about seeing. You know, the two teams that loaded up the most in the league, the Memorial Cup hosts and the defending conference champions, the two favorites, the two that have cut a swath through the playoffs so far. How do you handicap that series, Hartley? Well, I know in, in, in talking even to a lot of folks about it, everybody's talking that it, you know, it's going to be the this, this series of the century and, and all of that and, you know, on paper. And I think we should mention that, uh, another team that loaded up was Winnipeg on the other end and they could be advancing as well. But in terms of this series, uh, there's, okay. And I, obviously I've seen Kamloops a few times because they've come into Prince George. I've seen Seattle. So, I am trying to be as honest and look at everything as possible. Seattle's going to win this series. There is very little doubt in my mind. Would, would I fall off my chair if, if Kamloops won in seven? I don't think I would, but the chair would be tilting a little bit. I'd, I'd have to hold on to the rail to make sure I didn't fall off. Um, th th there's a couple things to think about. Number one is... Seattle doesn't have another chance. So, so just think about that for a moment. If Seattle loses, they're done. They're over with. All those 
hired guns, a lot of them that aren't coming back, they're, they're done. Their junior career is done. If Kamloops loses, and I know this isn't in the back of their mind, oh, they're going to lose or anything like that, but if they do, they still have another shot to win the Memorial Cup. Now, I would rather win the WHL championship than the Memorial Cup, but there's still that mindset that if you win the Memorial Cup, you're national champions, and that supersedes league championship. That's a whole different podcast we could talk about on a different show that we can go hours on. And I've had a lot of discussion about it. But I myself am very much league over Memorial Cup. You know, having said that, uh, look, Kamloops is great firepower, so does Seattle. Uh, each of them have great defensemen. And we don't have to go through all the names. People know them if they follow the league and all of that. I, I think there's going to be a big difference in goal. Now, Ernst has played really well. He's got really good numbers. I think he's a pretty good goaltender. But Milic is at another level. He is. He, there's a reason that Milic was chosen for Team Canada and not Dylan Ernst, although Ernst is a year younger and, and all of that. I think Ernst is, is a very capable. I think he's a really good goaltender. But it's going to come down when games are 2-2 in the third period or 3-3 or whatever, it's going to come down to, you know, goaltending. And that's where I give the edge to Seattle. I give the edge to Seattle on depth at the back end, the goaltending advantage. I, I don't know if there's any coaching advantage either way. I think they're both very, very well coached. I think the power plays are going to be really good for both teams. I saw Seattle's power play, you know, at its best. Camlet's power play in the season was was number one. And they had a really good playoff as well. So there's going to be goals coming on the power play. Special teams will come into it, so on and so forth. I don't think it's going seven. Uh, I I would, you know, I, I I'm not going to be surprised if Seattle can actually beat them in five, but I don't think it's going to take them any longer than six. I I, uh, I, I think if Seattle has a slip up this year, then I think that Seattle would go on, and I think Winnipeg is going to come out of the East. Uh, I know they had a little bit of trouble with Moose Job before, you know, finally taking care of there. But I, I think Winnipeg will eventually come out of the East and Seattle would beat them. Seattle will get to probably a Memorial Cup final, although a semifinal. You have to be a little bit careful. Like I can't just say Seattle is going to win the Memorial Cup because it's tricky at the end because you get into single game elimination. There's that semifinal. If you avoid that, you still have to win that final, and anything can sort of happen in a one-game situation. But uh, this, I just saw that roster. I, I just see them all together, and look, strange things can happen. Injuries can happen. Untimely penalty. All kinds of things can happen. But as good as Kamloops is, I just don't know that there's a team in this country put together that can beat Seattle four times. You can beat them once. Yeah, twice. You know, you can make things interesting, but don't be surprised if Seattle wins this series by a little bigger margin than everybody's expecting. You know, as as the the, the Western Conference correspondent of of this particular podcast, I can say that I, I, I think I'm I'm with you, Hartley. I mean, you know, this both both Seattle and Kamloops are going to be well rested because they finished the series so early, and too well rested. Yeah, and that and that could be. Well, I I, I can tell you for a fact that uh, Kamloops stars, uh, you know, they really tried to to eliminate the rust by uh, 
uh, playing their guns, uh, their big guns, very heavily in the third period and continuing to score when uh, when they didn't really need to. But um, that's neither here nor there. Um, you know, at th- this roster is as, as constructed for Kamloops is you know they're they're as good as anybody, and I think they can compete with with any major junior team you know in 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 the in the land. But once if the, if there are injuries and there always are, I feel like the Seattle team is so deep and that they are more they're 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 more set up to withstand injuries or even a few injuries. And I think that you know you almost have to expect in a in a seven game series that that to, to me that's going to tip the scales. Well, let let me ask you this: when it is two two or when it is overtime. How much more confident are you going to be in Milich over Ernst? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think one of the is Ernst hasn't really been tested like that yet, right? So we know Milich can handle that. So if you're a betting man, then you're going, okay. If I have to pick between the two guys, you know, we've seen Milich in in every type of situation handle the pressure. Ernst hasn't had to, so yeah, I'll I'll take uh, somebody who's proven themselves over someone who hasn't. I guess the wild card is, what if when he's placed in that position, Ernst shows that he's as good a pressure goaltender as anyone else? Right? We just don't know yet because he hasn't been really in that position, at least from what I've seen. Yeah, and that's all we can do is guess. Remember, uh, I think a lot of people are forgetting last year. I mean, Seattle got within two wins of winning the whole WHL title. And, you know, they had to play four games on the road as opposed to only two at home due to unusual circumstances. And that Seattle team was good, but a fourth place team and nowhere near as good as this team. And, you know, they had to get through Kamloops and all of that. Um, but you are right that, you know, Ernst is a little bit of an unknown and, he could surprise us, and he could even outplay Millich. It's goaltending. It's, it's certainly possible. Just by looking at the style of the two goaltenders, you just have more confidence in Millich over Ernst. And that is by no means a, a knock on the Kamloops goaltender. And I, and I think he's played very, very well, and they're very comfortable. They didn't have to upgrade to the deadline there and everything. But... Uh, you know, he, he's a little bit more unorthodox. I, I like the more traditional kind of goaltender, and, and I just think, I just know in playoffs how important that is because there are going to be close games. As much as I'm convinced Seattle is going to win this series, I, I'm not. I, I certainly don't think we're getting into 8-1 and 8-2 scores like they did against Prince George. That I don't see. I do see close games, but when it's all on the line, uh, you look at goaltending, you look at power play, you look at a lot of those things, and they can, and Kamloops' power play can certainly match Seattle's. But, uh, I, that, I, I just don't, I, I just don't think you can underestimate goaltending. And that's where I just think that Seattle is, to, to me, they have the advantage. And, and you know, that's the beauty about watching the game. Maybe we're all going to be proven wrong, and maybe Ernst is going to outdo Millich, and we're going to say, hey, you know, but we didn't really have anything to, to, to grade it on. But we've seen Milich in last year's playoffs. We've seen him this year in playoffs, and we saw him 
get a gold medal at the uh, World Juniors. We haven't seen any of that from Ernst, so that's why we're more comfortable. But just in terms of style, I, I like Milic's style a little bit better. Yeah, you you mentioned that that gold medal. I mean, if you're the if you're the best 19 year old goaltender with a Canadian passport, then you're the best goaltender in in the Western League. I mean, you know, go fish, right? And everybody else is, you know, trying to pick up the crumbs. And and yeah, that's uh, you know, that can definitely tip the balance for sure. Well, Hartley, we've kept you for for some time now. Do you have uh? Kind of some closing uh, closing arguments here as we you know, go to, to wrap a bow on this this particular episode. Well, the only thing is, is that uh, you know there, there I, this year seems to be more exciting, and I think there's a few factors for that. Number one, I think this is the first year that we've really looked and we're past the pandemic. Even last year, there were shades of it that still overlapped. And then, you know, we, we, we had the, the difficult season, you know, we had the pandemic season. So, so I, I think fans have, have had that. Number two, we haven't had the Connor Bedard factor like we've had this year. Yeah, he was 16 years old, but he didn't come and play in the BC division and, you know, all of those kinds of things. So, and he was, he was really good at 16, but he was even, at a different level at 17. So that really uh, has helped the league. And then, not one, not two, but three super teams. And two of them just happen to be in the West. And there's a possibility that both will be in the Memorial Cup. We know for sure that uh, Kamloops is. Uh, And then, you know, I I know that uh, Winnipeg or whoever wins the East uh, will be hoping that Kamloops can beat uh, Seattle, so that will give the Eastern uh, champions uh, an automatic berth. But three super teams, usually you have one, maybe two. Highly unusual that you have three. So I think that is added uh, to the league. And then you have a number of other teams that, you know, Tri-City had been out of the playoffs for a while, and Prince George. Some of these other teams have sort of, Coming up, you see that Tri-City is going to have a lot of good guys back, and so is Prince George. So we got a lot of new faces. and It's always nice to have some freshness. It's always nice to have some excitement and, you know, really good teams. And we, We've had that this year. So it's like the WHL has been back. Hockey has been back. Attendance has been, for the most part, has been up. And obviously Bedard had a, a lot to do with that. But still, it, it, um, it just seems we're ending this season. seems like a more of a positive note than we have for quite some time. And I mean, you guys have followed the league a long time as well. Do you get that sense as well? Well, certainly in Prince George, which is kind of where we wanted to go to you. But no, you're, you're, you're right that, I mean, well, in Saskatoon, you know, they play game seven, you know, we're, we're taping this on on Monday. They play Game Seven on Tuesday, which is you know going to be ex- exciting to see if they can if they can pull off the, the the reverse sweep. And you know, I mean, yeah, there's there's a lot of there's a there is a lot of fun stories a, a, a across the league right now. And and uh, and yeah, I think I, I think I share your optimism, Harley. So I, I think that's a, a really good message to to sort of leave it off. What about for you, Sean? 
I think there was a lot of nerves uh, around the hockey world, especially when it came to junior hockey as the pandemic went on. And then it was a bit of a soft return, um, you know, when, when it came to fan support, when it came to excitement. So uh, Connor mania couldn't have come at a better time, I think, for the Western Hockey League to re-engage uh, some fan bases and to see some communities that haven't been at the forefront, you know, your Prince George's, your Saskatoon's, places like that, um, right back in the mix and getting their their community and their fan base excited, certainly leaves some real positive notes uh, for the Western Hockey League. And if they can have a, a good showing at the Memorial Cup between Kamloops and whomever it is that uh, joins them, uh, it could really be a banner year for this league. And uh, they needed it. And, uh, I'm glad and, and the league hasn't had a lot of success in recent years at the Memorial Cup, and I think there is a sense that's going to change this year. It's sure set up to do so, but <laughs> this this league always beats itself up with how good the playoffs is. So, Kamloops and Seattle having a reasonably um, easier time in the first round, first two rounds, than we've seen some of our champions in other years. Maybe that means that uh, they'll be a little fresher when it does come time uh, for the big dance. Well, I've seen enough of, of Stankoven and, and, and Olin Zellweger here in the last couple of weeks that if they can, uh, you know, if, 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 if they can, if, if they're healthy enough to lace them up, they're going to, they're going to put on a show here at, uh, you know, at, at, up there in Kamloops here in, in, in the Memorial Cup. So that's kind of where I'm at, but. Well, Hartley, we, we really appreciate your time and, uh, you know, I'll have to check back in with you, the Cougars here uh, in the future sometime. Well, I really appreciate it joining you guys uh, for this the podcast and all the best to both of you and to all those that uh, follow the WHL.